You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Our guest on Line Noise today is Richard Norris, a man who claimed to have made the UK's first Acid House album. He found worldwide chart fame with The Grid and was a creative partner for Joe Strummer, among many other things. His autobiography, Strange Things Are Happening, uh, will be released on March the 21st. Uh, we talked about The Grid, Swamp Thing, Acid House, Genesis PRs, Jack the Tab, uh, and so much more. I very much hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for for doing the interview. Um, no worries. I read the book. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, there's a lot more Zodiac mind warp than I was expecting in <laughs> yeah. 2004. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really enjoy it. Also, I really like the fact it sent me off um, to listen to music like um, right. Wimple Winch, who right. I've never heard of, you know. Right. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think that's a good, a good sign of a good, uh, a good music, music book, really, isn't it? You always want to hear the, hear the soundtrack to it. I remember, you know, reading that, like the, really good can book and it just you know there was so, it was great because there was so much music and it was kind of chronological and then you know yeah it was it's good yeah i mean there's, there is a, a very wide variety of music in my book must be said so it probably sends you down all kinds of rabbit holes <laughs> well it did i mean also the song you did with robert fripp a kabbalah sky mm. which i hadn't heard of before it's absolutely gorgeous song right. you know right. yeah. that was lovely yeah that was yeah he was it, it's um I think yeah, I think that that kind of makes sense though, because the, the our, our relationship with Robert and recording is is uh, has been very random, and, and and some of the stuff we put out was like twenty years after it was recorded and stuff. And there was one point where um, me and Dave were in the studio making a great album, and um, I think we recorded a whole other album's worth of material with Robert Fripp and forgot about it. <laughs> like, how did this happen? We kind of as we've got that uh, Kabbalah Sky track out, that was. Um, um you know much later on and um i think i think i played it to bill brewster or something and he wanted it for a late night tales uh compilation but but yeah we just kept finding all these other tracks that we've done and, and i think it was a it was because when we were the, initially working with robert Fritt, which was probably early 90s um the grid were making we were in studios continually so we'd go to you know studio probably probably do a remix once or twice a week and and you'd go to the studio and um put everything down on tape we didn't like arrange anything before or, or kind of do it we just did it sort of the recording and the mixing and 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 the arrangement everything all kind of happened within two days and so you do that and then go off and then leave the studio at like you know four in the morning via a cab and then the next morning go to another one so, so it was it was a we, i think we counted that we'd been to like a hundred studios in London at the time because we just kept changing studios to, to, to have a slightly different backdrop to not be bored and just and work with different people. But um, but yes, yeah, so, so I think that's why we we'd forgotten we recorded the whole album with Robert Fripp. <laughs> well, this was a thing. Like, I mean, it seems like you've got an absolute mountain of unreleased music mm -hmm. uh, from over the years, including mm -hmm. a world uh, no no European Championship song. Was it uh, yeah, I think so. It was it was a football song of, of sorts. I can't remember because I remember we did I did a couple of football songs in the in the in the nineties. But there was yeah, I think it was it was either World Cup or European Championship uh, Cup. And I, yeah, I don't think anyone's heard that that track. That was uh, and it had quite a lineup. It was me and, and Damon Auburn 
uh, well, it was Damon Alban and me. I well, we should say I was I was definitely the, uh, the the minor character in in that story. But um, and then uh, yeah, um, Terry Hall's on it and um, Shara Nelson and um, yeah, it was a good song. It was it's a shame it never came out. I wonder if it ever will. I, I, I've still got I have I've still got the dats of it. But I, I don't think it'll ever come out. It was just it was just before Damon had started um, Gorillas, and it had it definitely has a bit of that feel about it, but with him kind of rapping on it. I think maybe the reason it didn't come out was maybe the kind of rapping, but I'm not sure. But uh, but it was good. It's good. It's like you know, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't put his his uh, his rapping down. It was it was actually a good good track with a with the the chorus was based on a quote from Brian Clough as well, which was so it was it was a it was a good uh, good thing. I think I think it kind of um, didn't come out because um, when the FA sort of say to you, oh, you're doing the official. Um, football song for, for for the world cup or for the euros or whatever um i think they say it to about 10 different people so i think so we were gonna are we the official one no no we're the official one like this so so i think uh there was a bit of that and i think it i think it kind of uh um it, it didn't quite work with blur's blur's uh, single schedule or something but it never never came out but um yeah, it's a good track lost in the in the in the ether somewhere there i did i've, I've did go up to the attic and found about 200 dats the other day just just all all this stuff and um and amazingly since that you know they're quite old old bits of technology and you know i haven't listened to it for you know in two decades but they actually still work which is, I, th I thought they'd all be kind of disintegrated by now but, but, um, but yeah there's tons of so i've got i've got a massive archive uh, job to do basically <laughs> is there like one piece of unreleased music if you could sort of wave yeah. the magic wand and one thing came out mm. you know what would it be um, it's very likely to be that track with with Damon actually because it's it's really good. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's um, there's been a couple. There's there's been very very few things that haven't come out that we've worked on really. I mean, there was there's a couple of remixes that didn't come out, but um, you know, uh, just but nothing. Um, I think most. Yeah, kind of quite. Um, I, I kind of like kind of making a record. I, I spend a lot of time in the studio. Um, and I, I like finishing projects and getting them out. I mean, if, if anyone's looked at my Bandcamp, you can see that there's I, I put out hundreds of records basically. So uh, you know, uh, I'm, I think I'm on I'm up to my third dub album in the last few months. I think so. That's, you know, I, I, I like it's kind of for me. It's just being in the studio and making records. It, it's just it's become a kind of it's just a process that's that's just you know almost. Um, it, it, it's quite quite a, well, not easy, but it is it's just something that I do, you know, and and so it's it's kind of turned into this kind of practice. And um, but but with with the advent of Bandcamp, I do I do pretty much release everything. So so there there isn't. I think there was one. There was a in fact there was a Terry Hall and Dave Stewart remix that we did uh, called Nothing Alas Alack, which was um quite a yeah kind of a dub a kind of a dub track which is probably one of the only, only kind of dub things that the grid did and that, that didn't come out i was a bit annoyed about that because i really like that one <laughs> but, uh, but most of yeah most people most times people people like the remixes and they come up yeah i should say uh the damon orban track is called time bomb according it to is. yeah, so yeah. There we yeah. Go. but I, I i mean you never find it i don't, I don't think there's any any uh it was i don't think it was ever heard in public <laughs> i think it's only on uh, it's only on that that uh that that i've got from the attic <laughs> so your um your book uh mm. i was going to say autobiography i think you prefer mm. memoir right yeah well i think memoir because um it's mainly about my relationship with music and uh, and the musicians i've worked with and thoughts on music rather than um 
uh, you know, kind of personal stuff. It's, 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 it's it, you know, there's, there's, there's whole, you know, years of, 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 uh, of relationships with, 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 you know, uh, various people that just aren't in there at all, which is kind of, uh, I think, yeah, that would have been a different book, I think, really. But I think, and a le probably less interesting book. I think the, uh, the, uh, the music bits, the, the interesting bit. <laughs> what made you write it? Um, I think I was well. I, I kind of was the, the publisher, um, White Rabbit. Are uh, I mean they've done some amazing things within within music books in the last few years. And I think there's there's a sort of been a real change from you know the the time when the you know music memoirs or, or um, biographies or autobiographies used to be about you know the Beatles or, or Eric Clapton or something you know a big, a big artist or something. And um, whereas now you know pretty much since you know the last few years you know the, the kind of minor characters are, are more um are having their stories heard and you know my favorite books lately have been like uh mickey's a uh, mickey from lush's book you know or, or oh, yeah. um, you know there's the or the you know the um viv albertine book and stuff like this because they, they, they kind of it's it's a, di a different take on, on on things from just being you know particularly the lead singer or the star you know because i think if you're if you're um you know i was definitely more of a someone in the shadows rather rather than someone at the microphone and, and being the lead singer and i think you get you just you can kind of observe a bit differently when you do that from that from that perspective so it's kind of um and plus i've been just make, i've been making music for so long and, and there's been made so many different kind of uh people that i've worked with and uh, i just really wanted to just kind of document it really and um and, and white rabbit kind of um were interested you know i said well, i'm going to write a book and it's got Sun Ra and Timothy Leary and Joe Strummer and these people in it and they were like oh yeah that sounds quite interesting so, so yeah it's, and uh, yeah it's just, just kind of I think just kind of tying up some odds and ends really I mean I used to I, I did write before I, I used to write for the enemy years ago and, and, and select magazine and things like that I have I've written before I wrote um Paul Oakenfold's um, autobiography as well so I've kind of done it be before but um, I just thought this would be a um a nicer story to do rather than writing about superstar djs <laughs> which is fine but <laughs> well actually one of the things i really enjoyed about the book was it spanned punk and rave mm. and pop and mm. you know psychedelia it was like a real life in in music mm. and you know although um you're being quite modest i mean like the grid had a vast vast hit so you know you did experience yeah that that world as well you know yeah i, th I think i think as the the main thing the main reason for doing it was just because of to kind of uh, communicate um the bits of music which are obviously there's this kind of the stories and the anecdotes of um, and working with various different people but it's more about kind of just the process of it and 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 what music can do for people and particularly coming from a kind of you know coming from punk really and coming from a not not the kind of the nihilistic end of punk but more the the kind of almost romantic end of it that of um thinking right you know here's three chords let's go and form a band you know that kind of the do it do it yourself aspect you know and i, I kind of was you know i've always been a, a real you know new music fan and, and, and was but was putting on gigs you know we were putting on gigs in church halls when we were like 14 or 15 and, and it's kind of um it's that aspect really of just that it you know it kind of really brought people together and and, and um uh, you know as things become uh, can become slightly more homogenous and 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 you know you're having you know there's there's uh venues closing every week and it's it's kind of like 
I, I kind of love that thing of, of of a very very small group of people just getting together and and sharing something through music and um uh, and, and you know I think that can that can still be done you know and it's 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 uh, I really wanted to kind of sort of put that forward as a proposition that you know you, you just need a few of your mates and 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 some tunes and and who knows where you're going to end up so in 1987 you yeah. made what could well be the UK's first acid house record yeah. um tab uh, alongside Genesis P orange mm -hmm. um how did that happen um I was working at a label called Bam Caruso which was a um a psychedelic reissue label and um uh, with a guy called Phil Smee and him and uh, this guy called Brian Hogg and myself started a magazine called Strange Things Are Happening, which is which is the title of my book as well. Um, and so I went. I was uh, I just sent off to go and interview Genesis in uh, in Beck Road in Hackney and um, uh, for the for, for Strange Things Are Happening. And I was slightly. Um, scared i think was the, could be the, the thing because yeah, his reputation was was not you know was somewhere between kind of you know charles manson and and timothy leary or something but you know he, he's quite a a character and 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 definitely you know it's quite a lot of kind of menace or, and and darkness around uh, around jen and um so yeah i was a bit scared but the, the kind of the reality was a lot more um was much more positive and he was, was very interested in lots of things that i was interested in, in terms of like he loved psychedelia and he liked kind of lots of strange music he liked things like um martin denny and all these kind of exotica records that at the time hadn't really been kind of re you know reapproached or reappropriated at all and and so it wasn't too snobby it was just interested in lots of different things um and lots of ideas that he he would he'd talk about more lots of ideas that seemed to stem from kind of John Cage and and, and sort of avant-garde art, art and, and music, and, and that that was, you know, I didn't really know much about that stuff, so it was really interesting just listening to him talk about that. And um, so I just went to interview him, and, and just during the interview, he was saying, "Well, you know, have you heard about this thing called Acid House?" And like, and um, I hadn't, and I don't think he had either. I think he'd heard about house music because house music was had been around, and, and you know, there have been things like Jackie Body had been in in the charts. I mean, there had been like. You know big hit singles from from house music in from kind of 1986 onwards but but acid house was a, was a kind of new thing but um he he heard the name and and I, and I heard the name before we'd actually heard the music so it was kind of it was more the idea of what acid house could be which is like you know psychedelia plus dance floors and, and which just sounds like a sounds like an amazing concept you know and um so we hadn't actually heard any records with with a 303 in them when, when we went and made this record the next weekend he just said yeah do you want to come and make an album let's go and do it next weekend and um which is the, the spirit of the times really and uh, and we did so we just uh, sat around in this studio in, in chiswick in london with about 12 people and a dog and some children and uh, and and just kind of had two different rooms very small studio but we had like vhs tapes and cassettes and and kind of one room just like splicing up little bits of of, of uh of audio um and and uh, vinyl and stuff and then the other room was the kind of main room which had um uh the main uh with this guy called richard evans who's an amazing engineer who, who was using the very very earliest kind of sampling technology that was affordable which is you know s900s and a, this atari which kind of games computer which was used as the 
as the early sequences. And um, so, yeah, we just had this kind of very, very um, vibey weekend that was um, that was very quick. Jen had this thing where he said, uh, yeah, the, we, we, got, we got this rule where all the records have to be made and produced in an hour. And, and they're kind of like, I didn't, I kind of, I had had some uh, experience. I've been in kind of punk bands and things before. And so I had some experience in studio and didn't really have that much experience though. So I just kind of thought that's how you made electronic music. I thought you just had to make it really quickly. And um, and we kind of jammed it as well, which which ever since I've never never really done before, where you have, you know, three or four people all working on samplers and keyboards and bits of tape at once. And so, so you know, every, everything was, everything on the album was like the first take. It's literally the first five minutes of, of your an idea that, that you have, um, which, a lot of the time are the best ideas, you know, but a lot of time they, those kind of get smoothed over. Um, but with this Jack the Tab album, they didn't, they didn't get smoothed over and it still sounds insane today. I mean, it's still got, it doesn't really sound like anything else. And um, it certainly didn't sound like Acid House. It was just, it was kind of our idea of what Acid House might sound like. And, um, and I think there were a lot of confu confused people once when it came out and you could buy it in your local record emporium and, you know, people were, thinking acid house and house or house music was was coming from soul and disco and they'd hear and they'd hear our strange psychic tv record with the sound of wolves howling on it and and kind of uh machine guns and and uh, genesis and uh, and paula Peorage um in their in their bedroom you'd think well this is probably not um something you'd hear at a case to soul weekend basically <laughs> so, um, so yes it was a, it was a it was an experiment and uh it was a, it was a fun experiment i mean i i um, typically um you know i fell out with jen very shortly afterwards which seemed to be a, a bit of a pattern um because he basically ripped us off massively kind of um licensed the album to brazil and america twice and and uh, uh in fact spain there was a spanish version of, of uh Jack the Tab, and, and he would just like write to me saying, "Oh, I'm really sorry about Brazil," but then actually wouldn't give me any of the money, despite the fact that the record came out, you know, on my label from my front room with my my home address on the front cover. You know, it was, it was uh, yeah. So he was a bit of a, a bit of a tricky character, and, and I'm sure um, as anyone that's read much about uh, Genesis P Origin in other books, it, you know, he, it, there's there's a, was a kind of dark side to him and um and it just yeah it was it was a it was a, it was a um you know it was a brief a brief dalliance with with jen which was um which i absolutely wouldn't regret and the fact that he ripped me off for tens of thousands of pounds wouldn't i would still wouldn't have, wouldn't wouldn't have changed it for a while because he because he opened my my mind to um just different ways of recording and diff different ideas and it was a it was an incredibly um fruitful um collaboration which which you know got me on the cover of the enemy and got 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 me to start working with dave ball as, as the grid you know i met him on during that session and um you know i don't i think if i hadn't done that i wouldn't i wouldn't have been doing music now because cool. after after you made the record it seemed mm. like you, you made the record and then you got into sort of going to clubs going to Sherman mm. places yeah. like that was that a bit weird like going to clubs and hearing this music realizing you already made something <laughs> a bit like that yeah well it was but i mean it kind of it, yeah it was just very very different because we i mean we we'd made the record in like september 1987 and then so probably started to go into shum a little bit after that i can't remember when probably early 88 it was um it was um yeah so a bit a bit later on but but by the time we'd finished the album we, we'd heard 
things like Adonis, No Way Back, and and sort of other kind of and Future, and other records like that. So it, it was kind of strange. But then there was a there was a lot of very very different music going on as well. I mean, there was records that you know if you didn't know what they were, you just think, oh, these are kind of the kind of records that you you'd hear on a holiday. You know, <laughs> and like and they'd be like, what? Why are they playing Mandy Smith? You know, <laughs> with and it's sort of you know unless you kind of knew about Ibiza and stuff, you find it find that very odd I mean, you know, this, and the spectrum from from yeah those the, the kind of early proto valeric records to, to to then go to like um clink street and the rip pies and, and, and which are just incredible minimal um you know warehouse sounds in a room with like one one light bulb you know <laughs> and a thousand people and, and just just a really incredibly you know it's, it's still to this day that the clink street parties have been very very overlooked because um you know there's, there's this kind of acid house uh well the uk end of the acid house um um kind of birthing story which is just these you know these, these four four djs of the apocalypse go go to ibiza and, and bring back this amazing new sound and it's kind of like well that did happen but then so did loads of other things and i think everyone's kind of uh Acid House story is 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 the right one, you know. The, 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 there's, um, you know, I, I I I do find that one a bit bit kind of narrow, and um, so and particularly when things like um, Clink Street and and also Rage at Heaven were, you know, the, I mean, there have been kind of people do know about those clubs, but but they haven't, you know, the 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 start of kind of hardcore and breakbeat and drum bass and, and uh, etc. Um, particularly with Rage and and, and Clink Street was was you know really. Very, very influential places, but they just didn't have the PR clout that Paul Oakenfold, et cetera, did have. So, so it was a bit, a bit of a, a different, different story, but, but just as exciting as going to Future and Shun, those, those ones. Was there a moment when you suddenly realised what an important record you'd made? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think we were, I think we were kind of, um, we were kind of, it was very playful and very fun and it was you know if if you it was quite opportunistic in a way it was really just like well let's do this and see what happens and um stick it out and and i don't think it was uh i don't really see, it was influential but i don't really see it as i, I think you'd have to uh, have to ask people in in america or, or other places because for me the influential records were you know things on tracks and and you know and and um was coming out of Detroit and Chicago, as uh, whereas I know, I know that Jack Tab was quite a big record in, in, in the States, but um, for us it was more of a kind of fun project. I mean, I, th I think it's, I mean, it was influential, but I don't think it wasn't influential in the way that people made other records that sounded like it because it sounded so bizarre anyway that you <laughs> kind of couldn't, couldn't do that. I mean, it kind of came more from, you know, that there's a kind of lineage to it that's more, um, you know, from uh, yeah, avant-garde records or, or, or things that kind of art school records, things that went went in, you know, like Cabaret Voltaire and things like that, and, and the more kind of cut-up things. Maybe even you know, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts or um, stuff like that. So, so it, it had it, there was a lineage there already, really. And um, um, so yeah, it was it's, it was influential. I mean, it sold loads of copies, and it definitely had a had a, had an influence. But I don't think its 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 influence was was as big as as um, you know some of the Chicago or Detroit records, really. Um, and you mentioned that was where you first met Dave Ball, who you've yep. gone to work with um, as the Grid, famously, and still, still kind of are. I mean, it looks sort of like the band mm. 
still exists from the book? Well, uh, yeah, we've uh, well, the, yeah, the grid has got its own kind of time zone. I think we have, we kind of haven't done anything since about. 2008 but we we um oh no maybe we did maybe we kind of got to we could kind of get together and then do a bit and then go away again but we, we're just about to start um on the on the next bit we, we're about to sign to bmg um and imminently uh, with a with a kind of reissue program of of um of tracks and also a new album so, so yeah so it's it's kind of coming back back on 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 board again um which is exciting because hopefully we'll be doing some gigs as well we, we're kind of looking forward to that because i think there's the good thing about the grid it was it sort of we kind of like the idea of, of technology and um electronics and that that sort of that side of thing and, and particularly with the with the live show and um uh, and uh but i think it, it, our kind of ideas were a bit too far ahead of what what could be could, could be done in a live show whereas nowadays i think we could we could, we could probably realize what we wanted to do 20 years ago quite easily so um so it's a yeah looking forward to doing that and do some live gigs. Well, talk about talk about live shows. Um, you talk in the book briefly about doing mega dog gigs. Mm. Um, I I went to a few mega dogs back in the day. I'm pretty sure I didn't see the grid, but you know, memory. Um, and I kind of think they're they're almost overlooked in how important they were. You know, when you mm. look at a lot of people that are playing with them. What was your experience like of playing those mega dog gigs? Um, great because they they felt like an event. You know, it felt like more of an event or or a happening than than the gigs. So I mean, yeah, I mean, probably you could sort of see the lineage from sort of 60s psychedelic events to 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 megadog very 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 clearly i mean we we um we used to run an, a night um when i was working at the bam cruiser the psychedelic label we, we ran a, a night called the hangout and um the uh, the guys from megadog used to come do like a light show very 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 early on before before they were doing megadog actually i think or, or around the same time as it started up it was at the bull and gate in kentish town and they they, they would they started theirs at the Sir George Roby pub in Finsbury Park, and um, so yeah, there was they they just had that kind of slightly hippie kind of uh, vibe to it. So, um, but but a particular, I think what was great, yeah. So, so one strand of it, yeah, it just felt like more than a gig, or, and you know, there was definitely uh, something going on there. Um, but but also just for the variety of people that they have on, so you'd have you know, Aphex Twin or you know, um, Psychic Warriors. Of, Gaia or but then you'd have sensor and then you'd have you know dread zone or it was quite a quite a broad variety which which you know a lot of the time you don't get you know you just get a techno club or a house club or whatever and it, it was it was you know people but people seemed to be quite open to to everything and I, mean, I was quite surprised that I mean they were very big supporters of the grid and was, I was quite surprised really because you know they well they kind of came from when when we were you know slightly less mainstream but but they kept booking us even when we were on top of the pop so it was quite quite good that they you know it was it wasn't that elitist at all it had it could include everyone from from us being quite poptastic to um to apex so you mentioned sun ra who you mm. got two vocals on face the sun yeah um, uh the grid song from the album 456 um yeah. tell us about that that must have been pretty amazing yeah. well we got that we got just uh we kind of wanted you know we're big obviously we've been a big fan of summer for a long time just just the i mean it's a, i mean the, the variety the span of the music and the different types of sounds that that you know that endless catalog of music and and uh but also the the ideas behind it and, and just the you know the kind of cosmic aspect and and this you know the whole kind of mythology that that uh he's got together and also the um you know the ability to be 
completely cosmic and out there, but also hold a big band together for decades. And that's that's quite quite a feat, really. And the fact that Marshall Allen is a hundred, you know, it's like it's, which is amazing. Still going strong, yeah. It's still going, and it's like it's just incredible. So so yeah, so we had a lot of lot of love for Sunra, and um, um, and and it was yeah, we uh, a friend of ours, Paul Smith, who was a, a manager, he managed Sonic Youth, and. Um, uh, he had the Blast First label, which were going through new, and he he was um, pretty. He, he'd done some Sunrise um, gigs and put out some some compilations and things. So we kind of got to Sunrise through through him, and it, and yeah, it was um, it kind of it was very. He, he was a bit he was a bit confused really because Paul sort of said to him, "Oh, this is banned in England. They want you to, um, you know, want to join in with their thing and." Um, um, you know, play with them or just collaborate with them, and he was like, "Why? I've already got a band. <laughs> Why do I need these?" <laughs> so, but then kind of explained it all, and it was it was all fine, and and um, so um, and he, he just and he said, "Well, you just want you to like just say some words over the top of this instrumental track, and um, yeah, and he just he just he kind of had this doubt of of." Uh, uh, of sounds and recordings that he made and it was just lots of him you could hear it was in his house in philadelphia and there was like some kind of weird synth going on in another room and so i'm playing the saxophone in another room and he would just sit there reading some psalms or some some, some poems of his of his own and um and he uh he said he was sent it through um through customs but unfortunately he wrapped it he, he made us an enormous um kind of wall hanging with all moons and stars on it, and and he packed the uh, the dat in the middle of this wall hanging with loads of um, um, incense and and stuff, and uh, he uh, so he sent it through customs, and they just took the sniffer dogs just took one sniff, and it was impounded. We never never saw it, so um, uh, unfortunately, we, so we had to do it all again. But then, so we got the next the next tape, but it was but just yeah, kind of hours of. Uh, well, that's the one the one that that I haven't found. I must I must find that one because uh, it's just him talking for 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 a, an entire ninety minute that with uh, with a mainly just kind of cosmic sayings of his own really. So um so yeah that was and yeah it seemed to, it was just a it was just a fun thing really and um it was it was it was very it was an honour to work with him. Yeah. So I um think I first heard your music probably round about crystal clear yeah. Time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was 1992, uh, and you that that you you were big around then. But then it, there's a there's an interesting bit in the book where you talk about the slippery slope of fame, <laughs> while, uh, courting Radio One by playing their their road shows. Oh so was, man, yeah. <laughs> well, why did you use the term the slippery slope? Um, well, it's kind of it, it's just about compromise, really. You know, it's kind of like, well, if you do this, that we can get here, and if you if, if you don't do this, then you won't get here. You'll never work in television again, kind of thing. So it was, I mean, the, the particularly the things with the particularly with Radio One, because you know, if, if you didn't appear at their roadshow, you wouldn't get playlisted. I mean, it was it was that that obvious. So we went to like Bedford or somewhere. There's a there's a there's a video of it online where, where you can see these extremely bored looking people at this radio one ratio which doesn't look at all like what i'd imagine when i was a kid you know the idea of the radio one ratio which was at cleethorpes or something and it was in the sunshine it was this amazing sunny thing and there's thousands of people there and this really wasn't it was in some kind of municipal car park somewhere and um, and it's just people like looking just kind of bemused by these kind of bizarre pop acts coming on and and, uh, and doing a pa in this in in their local 
shopping center and uh, so yeah that wasn't that wasn't great but uh, but it, you know but we got a list <laughs> but uh, but yeah so, so i think the slippery slope was yeah whether whether you how much of that you you take on board and 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 if if it if it actually does affect your soul or not really um you know and i'm kind of you know we kind of came we we weren't you know we 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 were a strange strange mixture really with the grip because we kind of love pop as well so we kind of we like lots of odd music and 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 kind of you know really go very deep into lots of kind of genres and and you know we're massive music fans but we also really love pop so it's kind of we were kind of that that was the the slippery slope was probably the just the the, the tug between between you know i mean i think what, what we'd really have liked to have been would be very very popular um and very very credible but that's very hard to do so it's like and that would that was the tug you know if we, you can either be one or the other but but to actually do both is is, is quite tricky i think i mean obviously swamp thing massively blew up um yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, top five all over the world australia yeah. which i which i didn't know and mm. obviously uk I got the impression that that I think you say something in the book that you had a bad feeling about fame. <laughs> time. Why, why do you think that was? I just don't think it was. I'm not a lead singer. I think that's what it is. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm me, but both me and Dave are kind of backroom people, really. You know, it's we're kind of, you know, it's like having two backroom people in your band rather than the you know traditional duo of of front person and back person. But uh, it, so I think it was more that you know I'm not a particularly quite shy was i used to be a lot more shy and 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 it's uh i think i think you know i wasn't i kind of didn't really get into it for fame i was more i was into it because i was a fan you know i was an absolute fan of music and, and kind of loved it i love the i love the ideas of it you know love the idea of top of the pops or, or or of you know the you know mclaren's quite romantic view of the sex pistols really you know that i kind of like these kind of stories and and um and, and these you know people that were outsiders changing the system a bit you know so so the first thing that really uh i was excited about was punk so so that i think that was that was it so you know i, I kind of i think it might be a british thing as well that you want to be the underdog and the outsider you don't really want to be in the in the spotlight really so i think i think it was that so i think that it was it was when 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 it became more about fame than it than it did about being uh, about making the music then it then it was a bit tricky particularly after one thing when, when you know when you made this record and and it had gone to number two or number three all over the world and then so what are you going to do next and so basically your next record that you you make has got to go to number one it's like that's that's quite a challenge when you try to write something like okay well, how can we do this so um, and i'm sure you know i'm sure there are people that do that very well but it wasn't really us you know we, we were kind of we'd much rather do a, do a kind of weird uh, left of center record than, than the you know, we were kind of coming from the, you know, we were coming from club clubbing and, and the dance floor and electronics rather than, rather than top the pop. So it's, it was, it, it was, yeah, it just felt a bit uneasy, really. But, but, but fun as well. <laughs> I mean, by my definition, mm. anyone who's on top of the pops is a pop star. So you, you were, <laughs> I think that probably extends. So <laughs> Did you feel like a proper kind of pop star? Yes. For about six months, there was a little bit where, um, we were picked up every morning in a blacked out car and um, taken to interviews or abroad or something like this. And, uh, um, and spent, when you spent all day 
being uh, being pampered and talking talked about yourself, which um, I'm very very glad that that was only for six months because you can turn into a complete wanker very quickly <laughs> that happens so luckily i think that's the other thing about fame i just i just don't you know it's not really i'd, I'd find it quite hard because just the ego aspect of it is, was uh it was it was yeah it was odd you know i think i'd much rather be you know i kind of come from diy and making independent records and and you know I, I to this day this morning i went down to the post office with you know, a hundred pieces of vinyl to post from on my own label. You know, so it's like I'm, I'm kind of happy in that that space. But um, but yeah, the the, the um, yeah. So the the kind of trap the trappings of fame were were um, yes. That, that I I could I could see. Um, I'm quite glad it didn't go on for much longer than six months. But we did feel like it for a bit, which was great. You know, but it was also it was just funny. You know, there was we'd, get, we'd be flying to Germany to being to be uh, interviewed on the tv by a skinhead puppet you know it's like well, it's just like what, what's this all about you know it's just really just a lot of odd uh, tv programs is what i can remember really but then but we also did like loads of touring you know played in japan and australia and all over played you know quite a few festivals and that that was just more just like being in a regular band really but the uh, yeah the kind of the the, the kind of the poptastic end of it was 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 amusing, but it was but it, yeah, I'm glad that I don't have to do that continually. <laughs> what would you say to someone now if you knew someone uh, who was in a similar kind of position that you were in? Mm. Let's say you know they they've come from the underground. Mm. A major label wants to sign them up, mm. and it looks like they could have a really big hit if they just do, you know, <laughs> uh, the major label things. Mm. Right. What would you say? Well, I think it's very different now. I think that the you know because it was kind of the, at that stage there was you know there was only there was less 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 opportunities. So if you didn't do one particular top of the pops or something, you you, you kind of your your um you know your your you know they could say well we will never work in television again or stuff like that. So because it because there was less outlets and and you know these things did seem to really really matter. Whereas I think now there's there's so much more um uh spread of opportunities and things i think you can navigate being um uh on on, on a larger scale uh in a, in a more kind of creative way um well particularly because because you you know it, um you know it's a lot easier to to um to have a have a worldwide um fan base you know it's it, you know just the, the connections and the, with the internet is, is, is a lot easier so, so i think I'd, I'd probably say go for it actually <laughs> say go for it and uh but uh but beware <laughs> but but i, I wouldn't I, I don't think it's a it's a bad thing i mean there's certainly you know you do need advertising and you do need you know some marketing clout and you do need money to tour and stuff like that so it's it's quite um you know it, it, it is quite practical sometimes if you if you if you want to um create something uh, with a with a with a worldwide base you know it is practical to go with a bigger label but i i think i would Personally, I, 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 you know, I, I kind of, as I say, we're just about trying to be MG, but but I also have a, a very big Bandcamp thing, and both of them are, are um, both of them are, are very different ways of of of, uh, of working, you know. But but you know, I think you can do do both. Uh, talking about Swamp Thing, in the book, uh, you call the banjo, uh, which features prominently, mm -hmm. the least techno instrument possible. Yeah. Um, I mean. What was sort of response like, and what do you think of the song now? 
Well, I mean, we kind of, we used to have this thing, we, we used to work in this studio called East Coat um, in West London, and um, we would go, we, we had a very sort of fixed regime of working in the day, and then about seven o'clock, we're going to have two pints of trophy bitter, and uh, and just talk nonsense for an hour, and then, and we'd start thinking about what kind of ridiculous uh, records we could make, and, and you know, most, most, most people would have left those ideas in the park, but, um, but we took them a little bit further, unfortunately. And, um, but I th yeah, I mean, there certainly was a part of the, I mean, the, the kind of, there was two things we swamped doing. I mean, it kind of, it, it worked as, 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 as a kind of four to the floor sound, you know, I mean, that we, we, we worked with the banjo player because Dave, Dave Ball, um, was just passing a pub in Marylebone, um, near where he lived and just heard this Irish band in there and they were playing and they had a real sort of four to four stomp on it. And um, so he, he kind of thought, oh, well, that'll work with a, with a, with a house, house beat. And um, just went in and um, got talking to the banjo player and said, come and, come and play on, on, on our record, and, uh, which he did. And uh, we took him touring worldwide by doing that. But um, so there was that, that was just, it, it kind of worked. Um, but also, yeah, I was, we, at the time we were very, there was, there was a, quite a lot of sort of snobbery coming up through um, particularly the UK music press and particularly people that probably weren't into dance music three or four years before. And they were sort of saying, you know, the columns in the Melody Maker and it would say, you know, um, we've got this record and there's only five copies in the world and it's an amazing record, but you'll never get to hear it and stuff. And I was thinking, well, that's nothing to do with going to a party with your mates and people and dance floors and creating life experiences through clubbing, you know, that, that, which is what we were about. So we kind of like, well, you know, I don't care about that. It's not, it's not about snobbery or elitism or, 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 you know, we've got this record and you haven't. So I think we kind of, part of the reason that we did Swamp Thing was to just piss people off, basically, and <laughs> just say, just say that, you know see if you can make this elitist <laughs> and, you, and you can't really but uh, so yeah and, and it was kind of we weren't i don't think we were really thinking of putting it out as a single or anything it was just like it was just a sort of just another one of our mad ideas in the pub really and which included things like we got a tap dancer in at one point and we got um we got jj from art of noise to come in to play the saw at one point. <laughs> it was just, it was always there's always just i think it was just kind of part boredom and uh, two pints in the in the village inn in in, in west london that kind of led us down this uh, this 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 path but um but yeah it, it, you know i i kind of still you know even though you know there's a lot of people that only know the grid from swamp thing which is um you know which is well if, if that's you know i can't imagine that that's a particularly good thing but um but uh it, it's it's um yeah it's it's, it's just um uh, you know, I don't, I don't. I think we kind of it opened up a world that we we didn't know was was there. And and I, I think in terms of being a, a sort of I wouldn't say original, but but an interesting piece of music. I mean, there wasn't much like that before it, it, it existed. So um, and and also it was a, also it was a bit of a like it was a bit of a um, a kind of a homage to our favourite kind of trashy movies. Really, I mean, both me and Dave really loved. Like um, Lonesome Cowboys, like the Warhol film, and um, uh, particularly John Waters films. We were like, massively into that, and used to go to used to go to Scala every you know week and see four or five films in an all nighter, and, and these kind of weird trashy films. And um, and that kind of aesthetic was very much what what we put into Texas Cowboys and Swamp Thing, and and um, and 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 it kind of worked because um, 
a few years later, John Waters used Swamp Thing um, in the kind of pivotal party scene of one of his films. And so we, we kind of like, we were, we could see that it kind of, the fact that it had gone all the way around the world and got back to John Waters and, and got in one of his films, we were very happy with really. So I think that was more, more, uh, uh, you know, we, we got more joy out of that than we did from being on top of the pops. <laughs> You, you mentioned the reaction from like Melody Maker. There aren't mm. many people who've been successful music journalists and mm. successful musicians. Mm. Did that give you like uh, quite a unique perspective on things? Like if you got like a bad or a good review, mm. would you kind of understand what was going on and not be too influenced by it? Or did it just sort of hurt stroke, <laughs> uh, stroke the ego, you know, like, mm. like anyone else? Or? I don't know. I mean, I think there are this. There are lots of. I mean, certainly, you know, people like Neil Tennant and uh, Chrissy Hind, and there, there are people that have have come from both sides. And there's and there's certainly a lot of, of uh, from the other side of journalists that were in bands and, and things. I, I think it's, um, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think a, a bad review is always going to hurt. You know, so uh, <laughs> I don't really. I think kind of knowing where it, what the, why, why they've done it is 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 one thing. But but. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I mean, we also with, with the grid, I think as soon as you get to a certain level, then you're going to get knocked anyway, you know, there's, um, and, and by being slightly more poptastic than before, that there was, yeah, there was, there's always a, a bit of that. But I don't, I mean, it's, it's an, it's a different, you know, it's a different time now. I mean, I don't know, those papers were very, very influential. I just don't, I don't know what, what is anymore. And it's, it's quite, you know, it's quite saddening to see that, you know, the state of, um, pitchfork and, and things that lately were you know and, and magazines going under because you know you kind of need you, you kind of want to have that kind of criticism and 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 a, and, a, and a good level of criticism and I mean, when I when I was a journalist I, I didn't really I didn't really kind of slag anything off I was kind of like I wasn't I was a kind of freelancer rather than a staff writer so I wouldn't just have to do whatever you know they put in front of me to review a single of the week or whatever and um it was so I was, I was more an enthusiast really and um so so my my thing was always about you know just spreading the word of music that you like and, and um so yes yeah, so i'd never i didn't have to do anything too overtly cynical or, or too critical or or you know i just didn't i don't know i've never really wanted to do that you know i've always wanted to say hey listen to this it's great you know? <laughs> so um so i'm probably not the uh not the the deepest level of of, of critic really and uh but um, but yeah, I can I can but I understand why it's there, and I, I understand that um, you know what it's for, and, and what kind of um, what stories it can tell that, that can add to the music, and 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 you know, and I really hope that um, you know, music criticism doesn't doesn't entirely die, but it does seem to be in a quite perilous state at the moment. Um, something I didn't realise before reading the book, but uh, turned out to be very important, was that you were a friend and collaborator um, of Joe Strummer. Mm, yeah. um, worked with him for for many years on many projects. Mm. Um, what did you learn from him? Um, just to be in the present, I think more than anything, he was always in the now, and um, and he had time for everyone. So. He would just had that, you know, certain people have just got that skill of, of like making you feel special when you're talking to them and making you feel uh, involved and um, confident and um, as if things were possible rather than not possible. And he, he just had that, which was an amazing skill, really. And we're just really just a, a, about, you know, he was, you know, he was, the, he was a, a people person par excellence, you know, he really was. That, that was his his thing. And, and, um, and and also that we did we did kind of we did 
quite a lot of music, but we did a lot of living, which which wasn't um, necessarily, you know, it, it wasn't the most productive, and it, you can't sit to see that there's an enormous amount of output of the, of the of the music we did. But we had a great time, you know. <laughs> when we just go off, you know, he'd bring me up and go, "Noro, right, come, we're going to." Go to Liverpool to see Leftfield and like and just get in the car and out. Let's go. We had a track. One of the tracks we did was called Yalla Yalla, and um, well, the chorus line is "Distance, no object." And he just took that as his kind of slogan and actually got it printed on a hat when we were in LA. Point <laughs> and and that was it. it. Was just like yeah, you know, just go for it and and do it and be it. You know. So that, I think that that was that was very important i mean it kind of it was also massively chaotic working with chad as well but but um that that was um but that that that, that just being in the now and, and kind of capturing a, a kind of you know when we were recording it's very much about capturing that feeling and, and and that atmosphere and that presence and doing it and so he would you know he wouldn't do like 10 takes it would always be you know first take or the second take and just just you know we, let's get it down let's do it and, and that was just it was a very um yeah, it was it was it was a very very useful thing to learn, and and you know I, I'm not I don't think I could be like that personally as much as him. He just had sort of you know just had that had that spirit, and um, and it was just great to be around really, and, and to, to kind of to learn from it. Really. Did it take you a while to get over the sort of Jesus Christ I'm with Joe Strummer factor? Yeah, not, but not long actually, because it's sort of. He didn't really, because he didn't really give you that vibe. You know, it was it was more, um, you know, it was more about come on, what can we do? You know, let's let's get on with it, let's do this stuff, and and so that kind of took over really. And and um, certainly um, there was a time when we we spent some time in LA, and that that, that was much more aware, aware of it there because, you know, kind of star power seemed to be a real kind of currency more there than 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 when we were, you know hanging out in, in Labrick Grove so so it was um I was aware of it there and I, I don't think he was particularly comfortable with that either really I don't think he, he you know I don't think he got into it because of being a star particularly you know it was very it was more like you know, what, what can we do and how can we, how we can we do it you know so um so yeah it did it didn't take long to get over that really it was just you know that that was just it was like let's get on with it kind of thing. <laughs> Um, and after that, uh, you formed Beyond the Wizard's Sleeve with yeah. Errol Alkin. Mm -hmm. um, obvious question, but is the name as filthy as it sounds? It's a terrible name, and it, it probably is. But it's it's um, yeah, it's not my choice. Must be name. <laughs> but um, well, we're kind of like yeah, it's yeah, probably the less said about it, the better. Really, it's, uh, it's 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 I kind of I kind of think about it as just being about creative magic. <laughs> Yeah, and there's certainly, you know, with, there's certainly wizardry involved in it. But uh, I'd, I'd, go, yeah, I'd go for the, I'd be more looking at the wizard bit than the sleeve bit, personally. Yeah. Good, good. <laughs> I mean, in the book, it all sounds very casual, you know, getting together to with, with Errol to make music. Did, mm. did you ever have a goal as such, or was it very casual? Um, well, it kind of was casual, really. I mean, it started with, I, I met him... Um, I used to run a, uh, I was director of this um, uh, internet thing in, in about probably 1999, 2000 called Ammo City, where, where we um, created a radio station and a um, kind of online presence. It was, it was kind of, we were trying to create something a bit like um, um, just a, a kind of world online, but, but um, we were just five years too early because it was, um, 
it, it was still you know still dial-up internet so, so the, the the ideas of us creating this 3d world were slightly uh slightly it was slightly difficult because you couldn't actually get online <laughs> to do it. But, so we kind of created this magazine uh thing but errol used to come in and, and do a show for us for that and i kind of got to know him through then and and uh and go to trash his, his club for a few years and um yeah it was really quite it wasn't it wasn't sort of there wasn't a kind of uh big master plan it was it was i, I just um i started giving him some um cds of, of strange music and and he started giving some to me and, and you know, mainly from my kind of psychedelic label background and um that was just it. it was mainly just you know um excited to hear this music and then the next step was like we've never heard this music in a club you know we've never heard you know you do right by can the whole 18 minutes of it in in a, in a club so we put on a night uh, uh, to catch uh, catch 22 in in shoreditch and there was 50p to get in and we played um back to back for seven hours just playing these records that we'd never heard loud before you know and so the can one we were like five minutes into you do right by can it's just a you know repetitive kind of uh tribal kind of stomp um quite slow and uh and said should we play the next 10 minutes and it's like yeah should we play another 10 and just kind of played that played the whole thing and it just got sounded better and better and better and it was just um it was it was that it was it was it was you know with with a, with most things i do that the, the the love of music has to be kind of fairly central really because um uh, and it did go from there and so yeah there wasn't a plan to become you know i, th I think i mean we we beyond the risk of sleep could be could have become way bigger than it was i think we we did we didn't necessarily think oh we're going to be a massive band or anything like that it was very much a project and um you know we could have done we could have done a lot more things we never really toured or or did, did anything like that and also we put out records very sporadically so it wasn't it wasn't yeah we, i don't think yeah i don't think master plan really came into it we, we what we did we always did with as much professionalism as, as love as possible but but um but it but it, it was uh yeah but in 10-year gaps sometimes <laughs> so and again that the, the cycle of beyond the wizard sleeve is, is has just started again we've just started uh doing some remixes we remixed um fat white family recently and um a couple of others flowered up weekend we've done a new version of that and um and a couple of other things and um so yeah we start we're kind of gradually starting again but uh, and we are we're going to be doing some uh dj performances and possible festival performances as well but um yeah so it's 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 good and it's i mean it's just nice working with 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 errol and with with dave you know i've been working with for both of them for over decades and it's kind of it's kind of nice you know it's sort of you know it's it's still it's just great having having that history and and, and um but it, it kind of makes you quite at ease with someone really and you know we can kind of slip into the working and creative um mode like straight away because because we because we you know because we know each other really well so it's so it's 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 a good thing but and then but we're all still kind of challenging each other particularly particularly with me and errol we, we're definitely a kind of um uh to it's kind of it's more like two individuals that, than than a, than a, than a, a band it's, it's more like you know so we've got differing viewpoints but they somehow but when we put the, those viewpoints together they, they, this kind of third mind emerges and that's that's where where the good stuff happens so it's it's, it's, a, it's a great it's a great collaboration actually I really enjoy working with our i've got i have a friend who works for ammo city i was very yeah. pleased to see uh, rich walker yes indeed yes because he was working for twisted nerve before i think wasn't it and kind of came down and uh yeah and um yeah and it, yeah i kind of like it was it was a 
a thing that sort of it worked for a bit and then just really just blew up in in our faces because um because because it was the internet bubble sort of kind of appeared on the horizon and burst and so you know we we had we had had quite a lot of funding to do it but it just wasn't sustainable we we, we kind of um yeah we were just too early basically we, if we, we'd have started a bit later you know we, this was at that stage it was like an internet site where we would say to people would say well how are you going to make money out of this and we said well we'll use advertising on it and stuff like that and the people were going no one's going to do that you're never going to get advertising on the internet so I mean, it was that early that you know if we just if we'd h h held on for three or four years we would have made made money out of it and, um, and but um but yeah so yeah rich was there and he, he um then, then he went went on and, and uh we worked for Excel, didn't he? And, and, and lots of other things. So, so I, I'm not sure how the experience was for him because it, because it was, it was fairly chaotic. But, um, but, um, yeah, it was great. It was good to work with him. It was, it was good fun. <laughs> he, he loved it. He loved yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he told me. It was really random. I mean, it was a really. I mean, it was, it was, it was giving basically giving creatives lots of money, um, rather than business, <laughs> which, um, which is always going to end in tears, really. But. <laughs> Look, I know we're coming to the end of the time. There's so many things I wanted to I wanted to mention. Um, your remix of Roscoe, which is mm. an absolutely sublime piece of work. Mm. Um, time and Space Machine, which um, is kind of I, I, I sort of you know continuing beyond the Wizard Sleep work, maybe. Mm. Um, you use music as as a healing tool as well. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I suppose the book is out. Strange things are happening is out on April the twenty fifth. March March twenty first. It's, it's come forward. It's, it's been. Oh, yeah, right, it's, right. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, no, that was that was it. Was originally they they brought it forward by a month, so which is which is good. <laughs> well, it's it's a great it's a great read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you're on tour, right? What what's that going to be? Um, well, I'm kind of doing lots of book book talks and Q and A's, but then shoehorning a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, DJ gigs in, in it uh, in with it as well. So so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, like, yeah, which is going very well. It just seems to be lo lots and lots of dates being added, and um, from uh, from Cornwall to to Glasgow um, to New Zealand. There's been some. Well, I think we could be doing some uh, some uh, Australian New Zealand bits as well. So yes, yeah, so it's it's great. It's amazing that I can now not have a band and just go and talk talk my way around the world which, <laughs> which is quite fun you're listening to radio primavera sound proudly presented by cupra